Well, good morning. Uh, so, so today's sermon text is going to be found in the book of Psalms, and we're going to be in chapters 13, and we're going to be covering verses 1 through 6. So Psalm 13, 1 through 6, so if you could turn in your Bibles or uh, flip in your phones to that real quick, it'll also be in the screen behind me. So Psalm 13, 1 through 6. How long, O Lord, will you forgive me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. There we go. Okay, sorry about that, guys. We should have checked, uh, done a mic check. The reason that, uh, likely, the reason that happened is tonight we are doing a worship night with another church, Faith Community Bible, and therefore we're going to have more musicians on the stage. And so we ran some cables and uh, then ran them back in light of the service this morning, and that's probably why we're there. So uh, come tonight. We're going to show a video at the end, 7 o'clock. Um, it's good. It is really good to be here this morning. And though I admit, like, it doesn't feel like a sun, you know, summer, sunny morning. And we've had a lot of those. And it's st there's still summer left. But I think now, like, we're feeling summer is coming to an end. I know, you know, there's students here. So if you're just coming in and starting school again, like, welcome. Thanks for being with us this morning. And, uh, you know, semesters are starting. And it feels like summer is over. And... It's not quite yet. There's still some beautiful weather to be had. But we, um, I wonder, as a church, if you were here this summer and you felt maybe a, a tension, a kind of awkward tension through a sermon series we've been in on lament. So if you don't know, we're in the, the final. This is the fifth sermon on lament before we go to Ezra and Nehemiah. And what, what might feel like a little bit jarring is that it would be a beautiful summer day and you're walking in from this just gorgeous day and you come in here and we're like talking about dark clouds and somber realities and heaviness of winter and it like I just wonder if that felt weird like that's kind of weird and then you would go float the Bozy River after we just talked about all of the sadness and you might feel like that's weird and uh, one of the beauties actually I think of doing a series on the mint in this way right in the middle of summer is that it often actually, if, you're, if you know deep suffering, if you've experienced lament, you know that feeling that you are deep in winter and everyone else around you is living in summer. And they're playing and enjoying life 
and you are under dark clouds. And it feels like I want to be happy and I want to be enjoying life and you're stuck and it's heavy and it's hard. And people have patience for those who are suffering and have patience in the middle of lament. But what can make that feeling, this like I'm in winter and you're living in summer, feel even worse is when people's patience run out and they also now are getting tired of you being down in life and they're thinking like, can we move on? Life is good. It's okay. Like, let's just go and enjoy it. And, and you're stuck in lament. And here's the thing. When you're stuck in lament, it's not as if you wake up and think, you know what? I really hope that I have another downcast, depressed day. Like, that's, that's what I'm banking my hopes for. That's not how it is. You want to get out of the, the suffering. Like, you want to move on, get out of the clouds. And yeah, you want to go enjoy life. And you can't. Because here's the thing. You, you can't just, like, flip a switch and move on from sorrow and pain when it's really deep, when it's really hurts. So, hence as a church, we said, let's do a series on lament. Why? Well, because lament, just to be clear, lament, the process of lamenting does not erase pain. It doesn't make it go away, but here's what I think it does. It does provide a path forward. So lament, I can't promise you that lament if you go through this process of lamenting, it's going to just take you from winter and spring you right into summer. But what I do think lament, a good theology of lament does, is it does take you on a path when you're deep in winter and it begins to walk you slowly and surely to spring. With a beacon of hope off in the distance, but it's a path that you can go and take steps forward. So that's lament, that's the process, and today we're the final step of four that we're taking from a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. But really, at the end of the day, we're taking it from texts from Bible, which is why we're going to Psalm 13. And so we're going to Psalm 13 to look at the final step of lament, trusting God or choosing to trust. So that's where we're going today. And I would love to pray before we do. So let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Though cloudy and rainy, had we long for the summer sun, uh, we're just aware that this is what life can so often be. We feel ache, we feel pain, we feel sorrow, and we're longing for fullness of joy, which is at your right hand, and yet we're waiting. We're waiting, and we're fighting for joy, fighting for trust. And so as we open your word, and as we see David lament, would you help us to see, to savor, to trust you, to treasure you, maybe some for the first time to trust you, others to renew trust in you in the middle of laments, and for all of us, for when hard things in life strike, that we would know what it looks like to trust you in the waiting, in the longing, in the aching. So be with us now as we look at your word. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you haven't, turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 13. And we're going to start in verse 1. And uh, so let's go there. So Psalm 13, we'll pick up in verse 1. Here's what we read. It's David's first words. How long? Oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Okay, so if you've heard the pattern of lament, you'll notice that it this psalm fits just exactly in the pattern that we've been walking through for lament. David begins, he begins by 
turning to God. That's where lament begins. Tim Kaine put it this way. It begins by bringing the real you into the presence of the real God. So that's what happens. Notice that like lament, it doesn't begin with answers to questions. What it does, lament begins by knowing where to go with your questions, with your aches and with your pains. You go to God. That's where lament begins. And so that's what you see. David starts the first sentence, how long? And notice, oh Lord, he's directly talking. It's a conversation. We're like, we're entering in, we're overhearing a conversation in which David is talking to the Lord. And so that's the first step. You turn to the Lord. We don't get a polished David, a put together, everything's nice and cute and cuddly. We get a raw, real life David. So just look, this is where he goes next. His next two sentences, how long? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will you forget me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So lament, we said, begins by turning to God and then step two, bring your complaints. And that's what we see David do. Lord, will you forget me forever? Here's his aching, his groanings, his complaints. How long, oh Lord? How long is this going to happen? How long will the enemies continue to prevail? And you see the rawness of him turning. And so lament, it's not, it doesn't begin with this like curated TikTok, Instagram, like self-portrait of a painting of you. It's no, it's, it's actually just a snapshot of the real you. The, the one that you don't want anyone to know about, or you don't even sometimes want to be honest about those feelings, it begins there with how long, O oh Lord? It's just bold. It's, it's direct. It's before God saying, God, will you forgive me forever? So think about it this way if you're thinking about lament and how lament begins. Think about uh, parents and their children. Now, when no parent would like just, oh, I, you know what? That's perfect timing, actually. Uh, and so... Don't worry, Josiah. This is perfect. Um, your kids are more than welcome here, just by the way. It's not, it's like, it's not distracting. It's part of what it means to be the body of Christ. So, but just think, parents, children. Parents, no, no parent just longs for their children to go through an identity crisis, to go through some kind of deep pain of insecurity or crippling doubts. No parents wanting that for their children. But here's what parents want even less. When that comes, if it comes, when it comes, what parents absolutely do not want is for their children to pretend and to suppress and just to fake as if those things are not real and not there. No, what does every parent want? Please come talk to me. Please come share with me. No matter how ugly and how raw, I want you to come to me. That's what every parent longs for. And then, of course, they don't want them to stay in whatever this crisis is that they're feeling, but they absolutely for sure want them to start by turning and bringing whatever it is, the complaints, the suffering, the hard things. And so that's where limit begins. Step one, turning to God. Step two, bringing our complaints. And now we see, though, that just like parents and kids, we don't want them to stay there. God does not want lament to end at bringing your complaints. As if we just come and say, why, oh God, why, oh God. There's more. There's more that he has. And you see it in verse three and four. And so last week, here's what we, we said that it is queued up, this turn from our complaints to asking boldly, that's step three, is queued up by this word yet. Yet is what moves us from thinking about all the suffering and the hard things 
to then turn and remember God's character and now ask God to, to, to respond according to his character. And so you're not going to see the word yet in this psalm, but I think you're going to see that what David does is that he, he's calling to mind who, he, who God is. And he knows who God is. He remembers who God is. And therefore, he can move from complaint to asking God. So look at verses 3 and 4. We move from complaint to ask. Ask boldly. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. So David's like, I mean, he's this. we don't know all of what's going on. It seems as if there's clearly a battle going on. The enemy is there. He's feeling like he's going to be defeated. And David is looking around. He's got no hope. When he's looking out and yet he boldly goes and asks God. And so the question is, how do you bring like raw complaints? Like, God, why are the, all of these enemies surrounding me? And yet then turn and ask God, hey, God, would you rescue me? And I think it is by David saying, okay, I have these complaints yet. And he calls to mind God's character. Oh, God, my God. Like he's calling to mind who God is. And in light of that, he now makes his request. Consider, answer, light up my eyes. And so you see this yet. The yet is filled out by David knowing the character of God. Who is God? Well, God is is powerful and mighty, and he can move mountains. And so he can certainly move these armies and move them out of the way. And so he, he recalls who his God is, and he asks in accordance with God. Character to say, God, would you do these things? So turn, bring your complaints, ask, and now, today, trust. Step four, trust God. Because here, okay, so here's the tension. Let me see if I can put it this way. What if you get to this point in lament or this point in the psalm and you're asking, God, rescue me from whatever's happening and you don't feel like God's responding. Or you don't feel like he's listening. What happens when doubt comes in? You're asking those questions, God, would you rescue me? And you're thinking, I don't know if he's going to. I don't know if he can, you might ask. And so what happens in that moment? In the moment of doubt, in the moment of, yes, you've, got to, you've gone to asking boldly, but it doesn't feel so bold. It doesn't feel so grounded. In fact, you feel like, God, are you truly there? And that's why that reality, that that can happen in our hearts, in our minds, That's why I don't think it's helpful to end lament asking boldly. There's another step, the final step, trusting God. Or choosing to trust God, as Mark Rogat puts it. So what would that look like? If you're struggling, if doubt's happening, what would that look like? Well, if we queued up uh, asking boldly with the word yet, I think we queue up trusting God with this phrase, but God. But God, and you see in our text, so let's look at verses five and six, and I think you'll see what I mean. But God, whatever may come, I choose to trust you. So see how David models this. Here's verse five and six. But, but God, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So, but God, the, the, the but that starts this sentence that you just read, that is what moves David from asking boldly, not knowing how exactly God's going to answer. He, what's happening as David asks this boldly, what moves him to trust God 
is not David's confidence that God is going to answer just as he asked. As if that what he's going to deliver is the meal that he ordered and it's going to be just right on his doorstep, just as he ordered. David doesn't know how this is going to come. He's asked God, he's pled with God according to his character, and now he moves to say, but God. And what that means for David is that nevertheless, whatever may come, whether you answer the way I, I'm praying and, 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 and picturing and hoping, or you say, well, maybe not yet, or maybe in this way, God will hear it. But how he answers, David is saying, no matter what comes, God, I will. And what does he say? Trust in your steadfast love. I will sing no matter what happens. So how do you do that, though? How do you get, how do you get to this step? Just a step before, we might have been doubting that God would do something. And now we're saying, I will trust. And so if, okay, so if asking boldly is cued by the word yet, and what we fill out, when we say yet, what we're filling out is God's character. We're calling to mind his character. When we think of this phrase, but God, and we're moving to trust God, what I think we fill out after that, the content of but God is his promises. So how do you move from asking boldly and you have doubts and move to this kind of rock solid trust? I think you hold on to promises. And so I think that's what you see David doing. So look again at our text. He says this, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he, listen to this, has dealt bountifully with me. So he, he, does two, he, he goes backwards and says, look, God, you promised to, to, to be steadfast in your love, to not leave me. And I trusted in that. And you came through historically over and over and over and over for me. And then this, you have dealt bountifully with me over and over and over in the past. And so David recalls to his mind promises of God and God fulfilling the promises. And in light of God, who always keeps his promises, he now looks forward and says, God, you've made other promises. Promises that your steadfast love will not fail me and that you will rescue me. Even if it's not the way I think it could be, should be done, you've made a promise that that will happen. Therefore, I put my trust in you. So, that, so when I say this phrase, but God, that's what I mean is that we're calling to mind promises of God in order that we might have a sure foundation. And so we're banking, not on God's going to answer our prayers just as we think he ought, but we're, we're banking them on the promises that God secures by his very own person. And we put our promise, our trust there so we can say, like David does, I will, no matter what comes, whether the enemies leave or they stay, I will sing to the Lord. I, that, that's going to happen. And so you... We call promises. Now, many of you, so many of you probably know uh, C.S. Lewis, probably read some C.S. Lewis in your day. And probably many of you know that he lost his wife to cancer. So I'll read this from from Lewis because I think he's a good example of the raw, the real, and yet the trust in God. So he finds out his wife has cancer. The cancer is getting worse. He writes this. You must pray for me. So notice, he turns to God. Pray for me. Pray for my wife, Joy. Joy's cancer has returned and the doctors hold out no hope. So he knows there's no hope and yet he's saying pray, pray. 
no hope, I guess you might say, from the earthly measure. Okay, three months later, she dies. Lewis just says this about it. I mean, he says a lot, but I'll just read this line. I too have lost what I loved the most in the world, his wife. So then he writes a book called A Grief Observed, in which he's lamenting the death of his wife. And what you get when you read this is real, raw Lewis recounting the feelings. When, you, when you're asking, like, how do you move from this, I don't know how God's going to answer, what happens when doubt comes, how do you move forward when you're wanting to ask bold prayers, but you, you feel doubt creeping in, I want you to see how not only David did it, but here's just another example from Lewis. So here's real raw C.S. Lewis. This is what he said. Go to him, God, that is, go to God, when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. You hear that in our song. Have you forgotten me, Lord? How long? There's Lewis. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the window. It might, it might as well be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? There's the doubts. There's the questions. There's the raw feelings from, from Lewis. It seemed so once, and that seeming was so strong. What can this mean? Why is he so God? Why is God so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in our time of trouble? Okay, so that's raw, real Lewis. That's not sugarcoated. That's bringing the real, in this case, C.S. Lewis into the presence of God. And the question is, is it okay to say that? Is it okay to do that? And I do think that the Psalms are pushing us to say, if this is how you feel, you start there. You don't cover it up. You don't pretend. You come and you, you're raw and you're real. God, I, I'm coming to you and I feel like you're, you're not hearing me. And you ask God, well, would you hear me? But then how do you make a turn to say in the middle of that, in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of the doubt, how do you get to trust? And so Lewis makes a turn. And I'm saying that turn might be helped by just that phrase, but God. And here, here's what Lewis goes on to say in this book. What he's warning is he said, suffering, hardship, it's the danger is that it can make us think untrue things about God. So here's what he says. We would think that this is what God's really like, that he wounds us and then he won't heal us. He wrecks us and then he turns his back. This affliction, it might be bearable if we knew he was near, but I don't, I don't feel his nearness. And, and at that moment, that distrust, what he says, that it's worse than unbelief. Why? This is why. He said, we believe in God, but he's become a horror to us. We look back on his graciousness as preparation for his next torture. So that we say that, well, Paul says, God delivered us in the past and he'll deliver us again. And we say he has afflicted us in the past and he will afflict us again. What Lewis does is he draws attention in the middle of suffering, in the middle of pain, that if you stop in lament at complaint, or if you stop at asking boldly and there's doubts there, if you stop there, you stop at a spot where you're saying about God, he's afflicted us in the past and he's going to afflict us again because you failed to make the turn that Lewis is saying, you must make this turn, you see the Psalms, to trusting God. 
to leaning on his promises, to go to promises like this. He delivered us in the past. He will deliver us again. What Lewis is saying is that's true about God. And what suffering does is it can make you think untrue things about God unless you cling to the promises that you know are true and who you know your God is. Because suffering clouds your eyes and you can't see as clearly because you're in dark clouds. And so you've got to lift up your eyes and you've got to preach to your soul what is true about God and you've got to make that, that final turn to trust that he's delivered us in the past and he will deliver us again. And I think, like, well, how do you do that? You can't just like, okay, I'm just going to do that. Just flip the switch. I think you lean on promises. So what I think you need? Reminders of God's promises. In these moments, what do you need? but for your soul to know and to go to places that remind your soul that's suffering, it's blind, can't see, it can help your eyes see. So here's one. Romans 8, 38 through 39. This is Paul. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the question is, how does Paul get there? How does he, in the middle of every, whatever's going on, he's saying death, life, suffering, anything in all creation that feels like it's separating me from God. Paul says nothing can separate it. It feels like it might be, but he's got a sure anchor. How does he get there? Here it is. Here's the promise. So what I'm saying is, I think you open your Bible and you, you lean on promises. What then shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's a promise that in the middle of suffering, what you call to mind, God sent Christ to die that I might be saved. Therefore, whatever is before me, whatever affliction is right in front of me, no problem for God. I may not know how it's going to work out, I may not feel in the moment, but I can be sure that I can turn and I can trust. And you can say, but God, whatever might come, I can trust you. So that it would get, and I just want to read this text for you. This is the text. Lewis quotes, I want to read it for you. Here's 2 Corinthians 1.10. He delivered us, that's God. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. He's recalling moments where God delivered him. And he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. How? How, Paul? How'd you do that? Because he knows promises and he leads in the promise. So he's, he's sitting in the middle of suffering. He doesn't know how he's going to get out, but he said, God's delivered us before. He will deliver us again. It may be that he would deliver us with death and we'd be with him for eternity, but he has delivered us finally from death in his son. And he clings to promises. Now, let me just make sure that this is clear. Because I don't, I don't want to just like be glib or, or just, just try to say, oh, you're just clinging on the promises and everything's going to be okay. I'm not trying to say that promises, that the promises of God just erase pain. As if you just got this promise and the pain's gone. That's not what lament is saying. And it's not what I'm trying to say at this last stage of lament. What I'm saying is that promises, they provide, they propel perseverance. They provide purpose. They give you something to cling on to when you can't see promises give the path forward. That's what I'm trying to say. It doesn't remove pain. It gives you the beacon so you know where to go in the destination. Because here's the thing. In lament, if this is the fourth step, it means that the destination of lament is to trust God. 
What that means, though, is that if that's the destination, then likely we didn't start there. If lament's final destination is trusting God, then we maybe didn't start, at least didn't start with the kind of confident trust that I think this is calling us to. So I, I wonder if you have ever experienced suffering or pain in your life and felt guilty about it. That might feel like a weird word to feel guilty for your suffering. But what I mean is that when, when something is happening and you are feeling deep pain and grief, and what enters your head is, I shouldn't feel this way because I should be trusting God in all circumstances. That's, that's what I mean. Have you felt that before? That kind of guilt? Like, I shouldn't, be, I shouldn't be doubting and asking these questions because I should be trusting in God. So what do you do with that? If that's you, if that's what's happened, I know that feeling. So maybe you don't, but I do. So what do you do? Feeling guilty? Well, here's one thing what I would say. When you dig down and you feel like you should be trusting God, therefore you're feeling guilty, what I would say is that there is something true about that feeling of I should be trusting God in this moment. I think it's right for us to feel that Christians should not stay in a season of doubt or not trusting God. I think that's right. What I think is wrong is that, and I think Lament acknowledges it, is that it's, it's very true that you might start there, that you might feel that in the beginning, that you might feel the lack of trust and you feel the longing and aching for a God-centered trust and you feel the discrepancy and so you feel guilty and so here's what you can do. This is why I think we, this is one of the reasons I think we need a good theology of lament because a good theology of lament, what it does is it says it's right for Christians to feel, it's right for you in Christ to feel that you shouldn't stay in a spirit of not trusting God, but it is dangerous to think that we can't start with a lack when, when we don't have full trust. What? What's dangerous, let me put it this way. What's dangerous is that if you as a believer think that it's not okay to feel a lack of trust or to have questions, and so therefore, when that actually happens in real life and you feel it, if you feel like you can't, what do you do? You suppress it. You pretend it's not there. You, you, you hide. You don't bring the real you because you think, I can't feel that way. So what I'm trying to say is what I think lament does is it allows you to start with that raw, the hard questions, the lack of trust in that moment. That you start there and you bring it. You don't suppress it. You don't pretend it's not real. You say, this is God. This is how I feel. But the reason I think it's good to have a good theology of lament is that you're right to say, but you don't stay there. It's helpful and right to understand that lament sees trust as the destination. So yes, you might begin with doubt and struggles and questions and you need to bring them, but then you are on the path. The destination is trust and you got to get there. 
Even if you don't start there, that's where you're trying to get to. So let me just close like this. If that's true, if you start with hard questions and doubts and you're struggling and you're saying, okay, okay, I got it. I start with the raw, real, and you, you get to the destination of trust. Here's, here's the question again. How do you get there? Well, think process of lament helps. You turn to God, you bring your complaints, you bring your questions, you bring your hard things that you're struggling with. You turn and ask boldly, God, meet me in this. And then you go to the final, but God, no matter what, I trust you. So how do you get there? So here you go. One more text and we'll look at one final thing. You clean the promises. Second Corinthians 1.20. For all, all the promises of God find their yes in him, Jesus. This is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. So if you're here, you're like wondering, how do I make this turn to trust? How do I truly get to where I need to be? Which is trusting God. That's right. That's where you should be. How do you get there? Well, you get there. There's no other way you get there but in his son christ that's how you get there you've got to come to christ so if you're here and you don't know jesus you don't trust in jesus you're not going to get to the point where you're trusting god in the middle of suffering but for those who trust in christ what it means is that in the middle of suffering in the middle of hardship that you can turn and you can get to the but god whatever may come to pass nevertheless god whatever would come how do you get to the point of that kind of trust where you go to Jesus and that's where you realize that in him, you find all the ability to say amen. You find all the ability to utter your God. You have made promises and I trust them, not because I prayed the perfect prayer, not because I know what's perfect, not because I've got the future on lockdown and I know how this should go or how it will go. That is not where you put your amen. That's not how you make the turn. That's not what trust is grounded in. Trust is grounded in God's promises. And this text means that trusts are grounded in promises which are secured by Jesus. So you go to Christ. That's where you go in the middle of your suffering. So we find in the person of Jesus all that we need to have bold endings to our journey of lament, to end in trust, which brings us to perhaps the most famous but God in all of scripture. Like you're sitting here wondering, okay, I, I get it, but how can I be sure that this is how I could end every lament with that kind of trust? I think you need to look no further than what Jesus did on the cross. Because if you're wondering, is it true that God will rescue me? Is it true that he does hear me? Is it true that he would answer me in my deepest, deepest darkest, worst moments? We come to terms with the fact that the deepest, darkest reality is started and described for us here in Ephesians 2, 1. Here's what we read. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Your trespasses and sins led you dead. So yes, the sting of losing a loved one, not getting a job, a breakup you never wanted to happen, losing a spouse, whatever it might be, that stings. That's real right in front of you. That's hard. But nothing will compare to the reality, the depth and the darkness that our sins let us, they were dead and we were separated from God. No hope. There was no way to get back. There's, you don't undo all of this deadness by trying to work. You're dead. First of all, you couldn't do anything. Second of all, you can't pay this debt. 
it's there. And here's what it goes on to say. Here's Ephesians 2, 3. We'll just read the last sentence. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Ephesians puts it this way. We had no hope, no God in the world. Separated. That's the most lamentable state in reality any of us would ever be. And this is what we read. I think the most famous and most significant, but God in all scripture. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, you were dead in your transgressions. You were like all the children by nature, children of wrath, just like everyone, but God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places. Our God in Christ has decisively addressed the thing in our life that caused the greatest lament. We were separated from him and he but God made sure in Christ that all of it was taken care of so that we can say with confidence, we were dead and now we were alive if you're in Christ. And if you're not in Christ and you've never considered that reality, I want to invite you to consider that reality this morning. You might've heard of Jesus. You might've heard some good news about the Bible and maybe you haven't thought about you were dead and there's a way to be alive. And here in this text, you see there is, and it's in Christ. And for those who are in Christ, what it means is that whatever suffering comes, that you can recall to your mind in that moment when you're having a hard time leaning on God and you're doubting and you're struggling, you can look at this, but God, how God answered us in our deepest suffering and know he will answer. So that you can, along with David, sing, I will sing to the Lord who will rescue me. David's sure of it. What would lead to that kind of surety, this? So we trust, we trust in God, which means, this is what it means, that this last step, is trusting in God is not done on our own strength. It's done by leaning on another. Piper put it this way. He said, keep trusting in the one who keeps you trusting. How's that happen? You come to God and you say, God, help me trust you. You're going to keep me. You're going to hold me. And you've rescued me just like you rescued me with your son. I was dead and I was made alive. You will keep me strong. I'm going to trust you even as I know you are the one who's keeping me trusting. So let me just close with this final word. It's our last sermon on lament. The last in the series. And I just read this this week. Consider all the various things that mark our lives. Like why would we do a series on lament? Well, here, just, here's just a list. Unstable jobs. Orphans all over the world. Judicial corruption, blown tires, broken legs, sex trafficking, leaky faucets, failed adoptions, monthly bills, envy, rainy vacations, broken marriages, chronic back pain, pride, pornography, slippy roads, severed relationships, selfishness, racism, bee stings, abortion, the ever-present death of loved ones, of ourselves. That's our world. There's more. There's good things, which is where we started in our series. But when we take a somber look at our world, that's reality, and we cry. Why? Why, Lord? Why this? Why me? 
Why this cancer? Why now? Why is this still happening? Why are you not answering? And we cry and we cry and lament, lament meets us in the crying because to cry, that's human, but to lament is Christian. Lament turns to God. It brings our complaints, it asks boldly, and it chooses to trust. Or, in the words of Tim Kaine, it's bringing the real you into the presence of the real God. And if you wanted to bring those together, lament begins by bringing the real you. It begins by turning to God and bringing your complaints. But it doesn't stop there. It comes into the presence of the real God, where you ask boldly and you choose to trust. Lament stands in the gap between the pain that we experience and the promises that are sure to come to pass. That's what lament does. It stands right there and it meets us. We know that one day in Christ, all our achings, all our longings, all our groanings will be met in him and answered in him. And so we hold on. We hold fast. We keep trusting in the one who keeps us trusting. Lament, it doesn't erase the pain. It doesn't pretend that it's not there. It doesn't remove it. It provides a path forward. It doesn't provide a transport that moves you from summer or from winter to summer, but it does provide a path forward that in the middle of dark clouds and deep winter that you've got a path that's moving towards spring with a beacon of hope on the horizon that says summer is coming. Hope is coming. And it gives you a path forward and it gives you a place to wait and long and, and be in the suffering and yet hold on to hope. And so we wait, which means that we, in lament, admit that there's longing and there's waiting, yet trusting. And God has given us, actually, a reminder, the Lord's Supper, a place where we come every week here to remember. Things are not as they should be. You have not yet returned, but you will. And one day, when you do return, we will all have a seat at your table. In all the aches, in all the pains, they will be answered and we will be in perfect fellowship with you. No more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. And so what we're going to do right now is, is we're going to come to this table as a church. And so what I want to do is I want to invite any and all who are trusting in Jesus right now. Whatever pain, whatever heaviness you have, you are invited to this table. Now, if you're not trusting in Jesus, I would ask, would you let the elements pass? Don't take communion, but would you look and would you see and would you see in the many people taking communion, those who are putting a trust in something? And maybe would you this morning come to him? So you don't need to be a member of our church to come and take communion, but we do ask that you are a believer. And if you are taking communion, we need two things. Number one, the worship band, I am, you guys can come on up if you want. Um, they're going to play a song, introduce a new song. In this series, we're introducing Songs of Lament. So they're going to introduce a new song and sing that. But it's a time right now where you can reflect and think and pray as we get ready to share in this Lord's Supper together. So let me pray and the community service will come. Father, thank you that you keep us trusting. Thank you that your promises are sure. Thank you, Father, that you are near. Thank you that you meet us in our limit. You don't turn us away in our raw, our real, our doubts, our questions, but you welcome us. But that you also don't leave us there and nor do you long or want us to stay there. You move us from hard questions to deep trust. Meet us now, Father, as we are those who are waiting and longing and aching. Meet us and remind us of your grace and your son. In your son's name we pray.
emerge.